we are staying up. I said, we are staying up. Uh, we are staying up. I said, we are staying up. But are you? Russell Brand, notable West Ham supporter with his own uh, wiki page. Tom Rennie, you get verified yet? Well, hey, everybody. It's the Week in the Tackle podcast. I am Tom Rennie. I still don't have a Wikipedia page. I've been asking our audience to make one for ages. Yeah, I could do it myself, but... Um, I just think that's a bit lame, isn't it, when the celebrities do their own <laughs> Wikipedia pages? Um, I tell you who does have his own one. It is the master of Dunsethery, the king of skullduggery, and according to his Wikipedia page, biggest in Utah 2015, it is Mr. Brian Dunseth. You can lie on those pages. How are you, mate? You're right. I'm good. I'm good. Um, I'm I'm feeling uh, I'm feeling a bit odd about that open for both of us. Uh, yes. And and the the award that I once won back in 2015 has now come to light. Uh, oddly. So. Yes. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm Did you get help. measured for that, or was that just by eye? <laughs> yeah, it was by pure assumption. Yes. Who was the longest in the shower? And they thought it was how long he washed himself for. Turns mm. out it wasn't. Mm. Let's get to some of the football this weekend because there were some brilliant games. I mean, it was a tremendous weekend. And I've got to tell you, I thought about you for almost the entire game between Everton and Chelsea. And not just because I found out this week about your monstrous, uh, but also because of just the sheer amount of Dunsethery, skullduggery, outhousery from Everton as they beat Chelsea. They tried it against Liverpool last week, and Liverpool, though they did get involved a little bit, they still managed to beat Everton. Chelsea, Mm. who I'm not sure care at all about any of the games that are happening right now, because, of course, they're coping with the morality of having been bought at one point by Vladimir Putin. So that's very tough to deal with. Uh, Plus, they don't know what their future is, and they could be owned by Lewis Hamilton. And, you know, he doesn't even know anything about sport. He just knows about transport. You don't want the man in charge of all traffic jams to be your no- new owner. So there's lots going on with Chelsea. Yeah. Uh, but Everton, Yeri Mina's back. And there's a bit in this game, Danny, where him and Kai Havertz are having a bit of a set to. And Kai Havertz sort of pushes Yeri Mina. And Yeri Mina, having instigated the situation by doing that pretend, going to nut you thing, yeah. Um, then takes a little shove jumps on the ground, pretends to be injured, then Jordan Pickford, who I just love as a person, as a footballer, as an extra in Peaky Blinders, I love him in all forms, comes and sort of laughs in his face. Um, (laughs) Just how long have you been on the coaching staff at Everton, I suppose is my question. Not long enough, uh, because I too thoroughly enjoy it. And, and And I walk this fine line of how much I enjoy it, and yet at the same time, how unlikable Yerry Mina becomes over the course of the match. And I, and I would put he and Antonio Rudiger in kind of these similar realms of antagonistic. They kind of create conflict. It's kind of that Luis Suarez type of thing where all of a sudden it's face-to-face, chin-to-chin, a little turkey wing here, a little flying elbow there. And all of a sudden they're getting underneath the skin of the opponent. And Kai Havertz reacted, and rightly so. I think anyone would react in any type of opportunity. But... Listen, the story for me for Everton was more about, number one, the, the, the fans, right? The support outside the stadium and knowing that they are transmitting that energy and that understanding of truly what the football club means to the community, what it means to its fan base, and that threat of relegation 
while still there, not as bad as maybe it was last weekend when we recorded. So fantastic stuff. Pickford taking one off the face, some incredible double saves. And yes, you're correct. He is officially a Shelby in my book for season five. I mean, he's great, Jordan Pickford. Like, people think he's not a very good goalkeeper. And it just goes to show you that some people are, sorry, Tim, f***ing morons, uh, because he makes incredible saves on a regular basis. He's kicking upfield. He's got a tremendous cannon of a left boot. Like, he wallops that ball upfield further than any player I know. And, I mean, he's a bit of a madman. Like, goalkeepers have to be a bit mad. And at times, it's gone too far for him. Like, a few years ago when he was in goal, I think just signed for Everton from Sunderland. And he turned around to fans at St. James's Park at Newcastle, Sunderland's biggest rivals, and was literally goading them during the game whilst <laughs> playing a game of professional football, not like a Sunday league match against your ex-girlfriend's new boyfriend's team. Like, it was a ridiculous thing to do. And he, he makes the occasional error. But all keepers do, especially ones that face as many shots as Jordan Pickford does. But, I mean, the one on the face, brilliant, great positioning, you know, absolutely. But the double save he makes oh. when when it hits the post on the outside and he gets up and kind of scampers across the line. And it's one of them ones where, you know, you would have seen this in training so many times watching the goalkeepers down, up, down, up, and yeah. they never have yeah. to use it. They're always training for something. It never happens. It was like when we all had to reprogram our PCs for the millennium bug and not a single plane fell out the sky. It was bull. Um, and that took our school weeks and millions of pounds to fix. What an old school reference that was. What yeah. MS-DOS reference that was. But he gets up and saves it right on the line. And then he gives it a big in as well. And he's still doing the whole falling down thing from last week. Mm. I mean, that's kind of what we've been talking about for a while with Everton. If you're going to stay in the league and relegation is all about personality when you get down to the final four or five games, it's about strength of character. Mm. And people like Jordan Pickford, people like Anthony Gordon, and people like Richarlison, if you yeah. go from this week, yeah. they've got the personality to keep Everton in the league. And they showed it this weekend, I thought. Yeah, I would I would include Seamus Coleman because he is he is the Azpilicueta of, uh, of, of Everton Football Club as well. Yeah, Richarlison, man, I... I, I enjoy the antics of Richarlson. I know he, you can hate him. You, you can, I don't hate him. I don't care, but he's a talented footballer. And I just love like when he reaches for a ball after he's, after he's picked the pocket of as Pilaqueta and they score in the second half, what is like 15 minutes remaining. And he's starting to cramp and it's great. And you can see him <laughs> lock up on the field and he's just like cramping up on the side. And I don't know about you, but anyone who's ever had cramp or been on an airplane had cramp or, you know, after you're done training and you cramp up and there's nothing you can do. It's just that moment where, you know, you seize up and you're looking around for help and you've, you've got the eyeballs wide open. You're trying to figure out who can help you uh, because no one understands the incredible amount of pain that you're in as you're completely paralyzed in that moment. But yeah, listen, the, it's kind of weird, right? You can you can celebrate Dunsethry or you can despise Dunsethry. But when you look on both sides of the field, whether you love or hate Frank Lampard, whether you love or hate Thomas Tuchel, whether you love or hate Espilicueta or Coleman or Mina or Rudiger or any of these personalities, there's such an antagonistic presence. And for a game that meant so much, for I think a lot of us who said, okay, well, Everton, they're at home. They've got something to play for. Chelsea, they're comfortable, still Champions League positioning to be concerned about. Um, at the same time, man, what what a what an exciting game of football. Not 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 the most open, free-flowing, but for Everton, 
I don't care what anyone says. There's no emphasis on style. There's the only emphasis right now on points and kind of clawing themselves out of that relegation zone. And that's all you need at this moment in time. It's not about style. It's not about patterns of play or were the goals good or anything like that. <laughs> if, if you have the heart to stay in the Premier League with four or five games to go and you're playing a lot of teams with nothing to play for like Chelsea, yeah. then you can outfight them because a few will take their foot off the gas because they are done. And I tell you, didn't is, is the Everton fans. We, we chatted to Seb Hutchinson on Sirius XMFC on Monday, who was at the game for Sky. And he was just saying, like, the night before, he was woken up by fireworks outside his hotel. You know, like it was a Champions League game or something. The Everton fans are firing up at the Chelsea Hotel. And, um, you know, on the way in, the streets around Goodison, I was there earlier in the year, narrow, old-fashioned, lots of kind of derelict houses. It's actually quite an intimidating place to be on a non-match day, never mind match day. And, like, the streets were packed and people are letting flares off and all that sort of stuff. So the fans are bang up for this. They've suddenly realized that we are in serious major stuck here mm. and we've got to do something. And Goodison can go either way, as we've discussed loads of times. Lots of crowds can, but old-fashioned ground right up on top of you. Go and take a throw in. They can pull your air if you're lucky <laughs> enough to have any. And they can do all that. But then... So the crowd are well up for it. You can tell that from the get-go. There's a brilliant bit, and I just want to say, Dunseth of the week goes to the Everton fan in the Salmon Jumper. Salmon Jumper man yeah, gets yeah. our Dunseth of the week award. It's the 97th minute. It's 1-0 when Chelsea are trying to start a, a limp late attack. Seven minutes added on. The ball goes out of play on the far side, and it goes to, like, some kid or whatever in the second row. He runs over our Salmon Jumpered man, and he takes the ball off him. He turns back to the pitch where Rhys James is like, can I have the ball, please? And he puts it up his jumper like he's pregnant mm. and then acts like no one's noticed it. It's amazing. Just, It's just, oh, it's, it's sumptuous. Yeah. And then yeah. he's look, he's got that face of like pain tension you have when your team is about to get an unexpected win and when you're going to stay up. And my team have done this, and it's just incredibly like nerve-wrackingly thrilling. Mm. You know, it's, it's even more... On your nerves, it's more than trying to win something. You know, my team would be close to winning the FA Cup in my lifetime. And it was nothing compared to when we stayed up with a game to go in the Premier League on a great escape. It, is, it was not comparable in terms of your nerves jangling. And he bangs the shirt under his jumper. And then Reese James is staring at him and he's going, <laughs> like that. It's amazing. And they're just, oh, just. Tremendous. It shows it shows Chef's you what kiss. a crowd can do. Yeah, Chef's Kiss. And by the way, we should, you know, for all for all the hammering that Frank Lampard got when he came into the club to try to, I don't know, resurrect what the group had left in the season. Th there's something to be said for I, 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 I would assume group psychology, right? Managing the individuals is one thing, the tactics, the setup, the training sessions every single day, but there's something to be said for a group of players who now kind of have that that belief they they have a little bit more collective belief and as much as you might despise it when when you look at pickford and you look at mina just screaming and seamus coleman yelling at everybody keeping on whole gates jumping in keeping on every, everybody keeping on their toes and and that hyper focus um at this stage of the season you got to give credit because very easily two weeks ago we thought everton were done and we were walking away and we're saying there's no way they're coming back from this and all of a sudden couple of positive results and there's a little bit more self-belief. So credit to Lampard and his group for, uh, for, for at least getting them back on track. So Everton won, 
but also this weekend, Burnley won at poor old Watford. Big fan of Roy Hodgson, by the way, and his the Don. budget background Don outfit. You know, when you've got a game at three, but you're meeting Michael Corleone at six, you know, you've yeah. got to pick the right outfit. Yeah. Um, and he's been very unwell this week, Roy, as well. So when I'm, when I'm ill, to be fair, I often have the shades on. I've been on here before with shades on when I've had a migraine or something. So it, it does happen. Um, but he looked, he looked like he'd been unwell. Like Roy maybe should have sat this play out. Um, but Watford, they're basically relegated. They would need an incredible turn of events for them to stay up now. Norwich definitely are. Um, but Burnley winning, I mean, let's talk about this because Sean Deitch, who has been the, the personality that's carried Burnley over the line for years and years and years and years and years. You know, there's always a club that don't go down. There's always a club in a certain scenario that brings the best out of themselves. And I keep thinking about Real Madrid. I keep thinking about the crappiest Real Madrid for 30 years and they've made the Champions League semi-final because there's just something about that club in that competition and you think, how do we beat them? Like, how, how is the 36-year-old and the 34-year-old that used to be the, the water carrier for the better players, how are they now the best players in Europe? And they do it because there's something about that competition, that club. Burnley are like a budget Real Madrid in many ways. They're like a... If you can't afford Real Madrid, get Burnley. Yeah. Because in the Premier League with four games to go, they just become the most amazing football team. And we were on here three or four weeks ago and we thought they were going to go because they yeah. sacked Sean Dyche yeah. and they bring in Michael Jackson, who wants to be known as Mike Jackson for obvious reasons. <laughs> um, come on. Um, then they've won three or four. And they yeah. were one nil down with 10 minutes to go. And I know Watford are useless and they've got no identity and the Potsos have no business owning a football club because they've embarrassed themselves. However, they came from behind to win without a manager. What's happening? Yeah, uh, the, the feel-good factor. Now, I was, I was going to talk about the feel-good factor of old Mike Jackson, old Mikey, Mikey Jackson. I, I prefer if it was Mikey Jackson instead of Michael or Mike. Mm. Mikey Jackson just kind of rolls off the tongue. There's something to be said about I don't know, culture, right? The, the training sessions, the feel good, the Roddy Ra. The, I, I would assume he's not going in and bollocking people, right? I would assume he's coming in and saying, all right, boys, playing the motivational side. And as much as I want Sean Deitch to still be at Burnley, as much as I wanted Sean Deitch to have this opportunity to bring this team up, because, you know, listen, the managers manage and they pick the players, but still it's up to the players to perform. So, there's a psychological thing happening here with the players. And I know we'll say, well, oh, you know, they, they've, they've, they've taken the harnesses off. They've, they've, they've released them. They've let them go and play. They've been more offensive. They're not playing as defensive. I don't know how much I believe in that. I, what I will tell you is having been a player when manager turnover happens in the middle of the year, especially when you're struggling, it's the ability for these guys to try to connect with the players. And if there's a good relationship and a respectful relationship with the players, well, then the players feel as though they can, you know, dump some of that, dump some of that pressure off of failure and say, okay, well, it's, it's our time to prove that we're better than everyone thinks we are. So I still think Sean Deitch is a really competent manager. I'm intrigued to see what his next job looks like. And if mm. quote unquote, the Burnley style follows him. Uh, but, but in real time, I mean, who, who would have thought two and a half weeks ago that Leeds United, who we thought were clear, all of a sudden have been drugged back into this race because Everton and Burnley starting to come alive at this stage of the season. I mean, on the Sean Dyche thing on the style, I know it's a bit old that he's set a couple of weeks ago, but 
I was going through some old photographs this week. I'm doing some renovations to my house and we're finding a lot of old stuff. And I found some photos of me uh, at university around about 2003. And I thought I was, no, 2005. And I thought I was like super cool and well-dressed and the jeans were flared. And it was a short sleeve shirt that had like white and pink stripes on it. And the reason I dressed in that style was because I had no money. And so when I had no money, I dressed, sorry, Tim, like a (laughs) But I thought I wasn't dressed like a double whammy because that's the money I had, that's the budget I had. And so that's what we did. And frankly, I did survive. So in many ways, Burnley are me in flared trousers. Sean Deitch might well now be me in my family home with my sweet, sweet, serious XMFC millions. And as you could tell from this video, dressing very well. Mm. So maybe Sean Dyche might go to another club and be very much modern Tom Rennie. He might lose his hair, but it's going to look a lot more stylish and have better shoes. Actually, it doesn't work because Sean Dyche has terrible policeman shoes. I'll work on this. And when he gets a job, we'll get back to you. On the relegation run-in, you mentioned Leeds in the last section. Um, And Jesse Marsh has done a good job. That's Mm. not debatable. He's come in. He's done a good job. He's made the Bielsa madness more professional. They were walloped by Man City at the weekend. Mm. Fair enough, it happens. So Arsenal way next for them. And that's going to be tough because Arsenal, um, though playing relatively poorly and they need Mike Dean's help to win games, um, they are in the driving seat now to qualify for the Champions League. Then it's Chelsea at home and who knows about them. And it's Brighton at home. Brighton just wallop Wolves 3-0 at Molyneux. Incredible result. And then Brentford away. And Brentford have beaten everybody this season. They've got a lot of scalps this year, Brentford. I mean, how many, how many points are they going to need here, Leeds? I mean, they've got 34 currently, two clear, having played a game more. If Everton mm. win their game in hand, yeah. as we speak, Leeds are going down. So are we saying two wins, three wins? Win them all? Uh- I, I, well, I mean, yeah, I think Jesse wants wants to win them all. I think Jesse would probably say two wins and a draw might be good enough. But th- this is this is the the, the conversation. This is why I do love this part of the season. It's because now we have we. I mean, three weeks ago, right? We we felt like we knew the three teams that were being relegated, and there was going to be no there was going to be no deviation from that. Now all of a sudden, you've got three teams right in the mix. So control your own destiny first and foremost. Win your games. Don't be reliant on any other results. But you're going to be looking over your shoulder. You're going to be scoreboard watching what we say here in the United States and making sure that that you're not having to, I don't know. I, I feel like now we're, we're in that, that situation where our managers being told in game what other results are happening. Mm. Because if that is the case, I would be intrigued to hear post-match about which managers we're making either defensive adjustments or attacking adjustments based on what they could get out of the game or what they need out of the game with regards to how the other games are playing out. So yeah, I I would say for Jesse's mentality, just knowing Jesse, he's going to want to win them all. Um, But are they capable of winning them all? Because with Dallas going down and a couple more injuries, uh, this is a Leeds team where I think maybe that running, that physicality, has come back to haunt them at this stage of the year. Yeah, Stuart Dallas is a massive part of that running as well. And he broke yeah. his leg in the game against City at the weekend. Missing him is, is huge for Leeds to have had injury issues all season. Mm. I mean, can you go into Arsenal away and Chelsea at home trying to win them? Because when you say trying to win them, of course you want to win them. But, yeah. you know, the master of staying up, the masters of staying up over the years, the likes of break glass and hire Allardyce, Sam Allardyce. Um, 
they don't come in and try and win these games. Yeah. They try and get nil-nil in all of them yeah. and nick a goal from a corner to stay up. And they've done it over and over again. Your counterpoint could easily be that Roy Hodgson is that man. And he's mm. taken Watford down pitifully. But to be fair, no one cares. Um, can you go to Chelsea and try and win? Should he go to Chelsea and try and win? Bielsa would have done. And, and that's what's got him in this mess. Yeah. So I, I, I want to make it clear. I'm not one of the belief that if Leeds United get relegated, that Jesse loses his job. I think he, I think this was planned for him to take over this club uh, in the summer. And it just got ramped forward because of what was happening with Bielsa at the time. Um, I'm not trying to be a Homer American Homer. I just think that that's the way it was kind of laid out the way I was seeing it. But this schedule, you're right. Going to Arsenal, home against Chelsea, home against Brighton, away at Brentford. These are really, really difficult fixtures. Tricky, tricky fixtures. So at the end of the day, against the big boys, try not to lose all the points, right? Try not to lose points. Try not to lose all the points. I think that's got to be the mentality right now. Uh, Leeds, Arsenal, Chelsea, Brighton, Brentford, Burnley, Villa, Tottenham, Villa again. Weird, right? And Newcastle United. Uh, and for Everton, it's Leicester, Watford, Brentford, Palace, Arsenal away. One extra game for Everton. Um, at the moment, I still think Everton, despite the madness of the weekend, I would still plump for Everton because they have three away games, which they will not win. I wouldn't want to face Brentford at this moment in time, leaving your Palace, who are very good away. They showed that again against Southampton at the weekend. They're capable of beating anyone, especially teams with poor defences. I just think that Everton may well get three or four more points, but I'd fancy Leeds to beat Brighton and get something at Chelsea or Arsenal. Arsenal more likely for me. Mm. And I just think Burnley have already done the job. They'll do Villa twice because Villa couldn't care less despite beating Norwich at the weekend. They couldn't care less at the moment. I'd plump for Everton. What do you think? Uh, I would agree with Everton. I just think this one coming up against Leicester and ending on the uh, away as well to Arsenal uh, could be their undoing, but you know, they're going to have the spirit. They're going to have the heart. They're going to have the Dunsethery uh, and the manipulation of the referee over and over and over to give them a chance. And let's touch on Norwich and Watford briefly. I know that it's not going to be big ratings for this podcast to talk too much about them, but I mean, Norwich are down, and we always knew they were going down, and we look forward to doing this podcast in a year time, celebrating their promotion, and we look forward to hopefully doing it in two years' time, talking again about their relegation, making the same mistakes with Timu Puki again, scoring 10 goals, but four of them in one game, or some of them are penalties, or blah, 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 no one else scoring a goal. Um, on Norwich, are they too nice to stay in the Premier League? Does anyone fear Norwich? I always think of Bill Shankly, the great Bill Shankly of Liverpool, who used to talk about West Ham. And he had a great quote about West Ham when, uh, like, 60s, uh, would it be the 60s? And he said, West Ham, good club, family club, three points. Is that what we <laughs> think about Norwich? I mean, at, at this stage, yeah. There's nothing to suggest there's anything more or less to what Norwich City is. I, You know, I don't know if this is uh, probably unfair for Fulham fans, but I would equate Norwich City to kind of the, the yo-yo back and forth of what we've seen from Fulham, that they take the parachute money, they end up, capitalizing on Buendia or types like that, um, get them out the door, bring in some more money and make sure they are solidified to go back in the championship and score a gajillion goals over the course of the season yeah, and then bounce back up. But what we have learned is that you have to have a plan in place and you can't just go into the summer looking to spend a hundred million from the kitty and sign up players that are are average question mark are average 
That's a compliment um, for Josh Sargent. Well, I, I mean, listen, for, for the, the Sargent conversation in terms of being a winger or a striker or even at the level of a Premier League or a Championship a League or a Bonus League, yeah, wherever you fall in line with that, um, it was always going to be a risk. For me, it never made sense. It never made no. sense. I, I, I can understand the allure of the Premier League. I can understand the allure of the financial package that he was walking into. But as a footballer, you're not going to benefit from the players that they have on the attacking side, right? You're going to be asked to put in shifts and work and chase. And there's no, whatever the identity is, it's not going to be the same identity of a proper mid table team. No. Like say, say a Brighton type, right? He'll walk in and he's got players around him. So the, the struggles for Norwich and for Watford are what players can they get rid of? What players can they hold on to? And how can they go and find maybe a few uncovered gems um, that can not only help them qualify next season uh, in terms of promotion, but help them actually be real Premier League players when they do get back into the Premier League. I mean, with Norwich, I do have some sympathy for them. Uh, I mean, Stuart Webber, who was the man in charge of transfers, got it wrong. He didn't build a Premier League quality squad. It can be done. Brentford have showed us that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they won the playoffs last year and have, have been easily safe in the Premier League for a long, long time, despite having 11, 12, 13 injuries at some point. Um, Stuart Webber just did a bad job buying players for the club. Simple as that. He did a bad job. And there was a great conversation start of the season, which was Norwich are happy going up, going down, going up, going down. Why? Because you get to go up as champions every now and then. I've never seen my team be champions. You know, Burnley have done this thing where they've stayed up for years and years and years. But if I was to be a Burnley fan or a Norwich fan, I would rather be Norwich because we've had some great celebrations through the town center over the years, some open top bus parades and something worthwhile. But Stuart Weber said at the start of the season, that was not the plan. Because I just thought that was the plan. We all thought that was the plan because they keep on doing it. Six times they've gone down, they've come back up, not always straight away, but eventually and and recently Mm. straight away. But he said it wasn't, which means he's not competent enough to build a Premier League squad, though he can build a championship squad. But they have a character at least about them, right? They give the manager a chance. They give youth a chance. Um, they've built a lot of their team around Pookie over recent years. A lot of players have been long-serving. Uh, Max Aarons and Tim Krull and Grant Hanley and all these guys that have been there a long time. And they, you know, they, they keep players for a while. And I, I think of them and I think, yeah, they'll come back. And I look forward to beating them twice the year they come up. And it's always a lovely day out in Norwich as well. Lovely place to visit if you ever come to the UK. Watford. I'm sorry, Watford are an embarrassment. The, the way Watford are when they come up is an embarrassment. And I feel bad about saying this because some of my friends are Watford fans and I, I like them as people, so I want them to do well. But the way the Potsos run that club, you know, I know we're in the era of sacking managers is the solution to everyone's ills and all of this, but they go so far beyond. And if you just take this season in microcosm, the manager they had at the start of the season, who I won't name, A, because I can't remember his name, and B, because I don't want to remember his name because it's not worthwhile, right? They've got a manager who's got them up, who in yourself came in last season with a manager sacked in the championship and he came in. He got them up and they didn't think, you know what? He's got us up. We didn't think it was going to happen, but he did get us up. We're going to give him the season to see what he can do because we might go down anyway, but he knows these players. He knows this squad. He knows this club and he might be able to get some results for us. The moment it started to go poorly, what, October? They got rid of him. So no loyalty, no respect for what he's done, no chance to build a team in the Premier League, but they're not the only team to do that. So fair enough, that's the way it goes. They then bring in Dilly Ding, Dilly Wrong. 
And Claudio Ranieri had one good season in 10 years, you know, miracle season, all of that. But that was a long time ago now. He's since been down with Fulham. He's taken about 14 other jobs. He's the ultimate mercenary manager. He's just in it for the payday at this point, Ranieri, to keep himself in those fine Italian threads. But he comes in and he was always not going to work out there. He did nothing. He offered nothing. But even then, they wouldn't give him the rest of the season to try mm. and make something work. So they bin him off and mm. they take up, maybe they thought Ranieri would come in and he'd be able to wear the entire fancy dress box they got from a godfather party at the start of the season. And because he refused to wear the comical outfits, they brought in Roy Hudson, who at the weekend proved that he would. Hmm. And so, you know, he comes in dressed as um, Vito's missing uncle for the game against <laughs> um, against Burnley at the weekend for some inexplicable reason. But, but he might even be gone before the end of the season. The same way the last time they went down, they got rid of Pearson before the hmm. end and gave it to Hayden Mullins for a game. There's no loyalty about that club. There's no character to that club. And I think about Graham Taylor and his two great spells. I think about Luther Blissett and John Barnes. And when you knew what Watford was, and they, they do some great things with the community as well. So the club itself, fine. But the Pozzo's influence on the club, it's got to end. It has to end. The way they manage the club, the way they run the club, the way they do transfers. Scott Duxbury, who we had at West Ham as CEO at one point, comes across incredibly duplicitous and untrustworthy and slimy and obviously isn't very good at what he does because he keeps going down with Watford. You know, they've got all these guys, they need to clear out of those guys, bring back loyalty, bring back a style of play, bring back a character to the club. And they won't do that because they're part of the Pozzo family of, of clubs. The Pozzo family of clubs, you know, you think about Man City having this massive conglomerate of clubs. I know sovereign wealth, disgusting and all that, fine. But... You know, if they're like the Bugatti Veyron of uh, dealerships, then Watford are the Austin Allegro of dealerships. And they have Austin Allegro dealerships all around the world. And it's like, all oh, right, it's a banged up old Trabant. What a wonderful car for East Germany in 1976. <laughs> but it's not going to work out for you guys. Bring back loyalty, get rid of the Potsos, get a personality at the club and have some sort of transfer policy. Like I look at the Watford team. And I do this for a living. I look at them and I just think, who are you people? Who is Kayembe? Who, 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 who's Samir? Where have you got Samir from? Why is Ben Foster still playing? Why is the goalkeeper a YouTube star who plays with a GoPro on his head? Yeah. Like, just at some point, great content. You yourself as a club. Yeah, it's some great content. By the way, we got breaking news. I think I just found the new manager of Watford. Oh, Walter Materazzi has been fired from Cagliari. So talking about going back to the bin again, Materazzi, he available. So you go Materazzi, then you go to Kike Sanchez Flores, and the bloke from the start of the season that I can't remember comes in. What was his name? Do you remember? No. Let's talk about West Ham Arsenal for a minute. I know it's mm. not the biggest game of the weekend. I, I didn't watch it live. I saw your Twitter. I didn't watch it live. I saw your Twitter. Well, I didn't watch it live because... Uh, I actually, we do around the grounds on Grumpy Pundits, as you know, and I say, well, we'll lose 2-1, um, probably level at half time. They'll score a shonky goal in the second half and win. It happens every year. I just despise losing to Arsenal because there's been some real rubbish Arsenal teams over the years, in recent years especially, and we just can't beat them. Hmm. Like, we just don't beat Arsenal. We'll, we'll beat Liverpool, and we'll beat Man City, and we'll beat Man United, and we'll beat Chelsea, and we'll beat Tottenham, and we'll beat Leicester, and we'll beat Sevilla, and we'll beat Lyon, and all these teams. 
but we just cannot West Ham beat Arsenal. I don't know why. Uh, and they beat us at the weekend with Eddie and Ketia up front and mm. Rob Holding. Rob Holding scoring a goal is a double insult because not only is he Rob Holding, but also he was a bald and now has hair, so he's a traitor to his own kind. That's a great, so he doesn't that's deserve a great that head of lettuce, by the way. That it is, is a great head of lettuce. Yes, it's a great head of pubes, uh, which don't belong on the top of a head. Um, they belong only in uh, times when the wife might see them. Uh, so it's frustrating. But I want to talk about the Ramsdale sending off thing hmm. because I just, I don't get it. Because I, I was out, so I was out. So I didn't get home until like the 60, 70th minute or something. Yeah. And then that got played to me. I got on my phone and I watched it and I was a bit like, having seen it on my phone, I assumed he was sent off. Yeah. Like I just made the assumption, having seen the video on my phone, oh, they're down to 10 men. I'll get over the last 20 yeah. and, and see us like push against 10 men. And he hadn't been sent off. And when you think about the diving that goes on in football, right? And I've had to come begrudgingly to this position. Begrudgingly over the years, I've come to the position that diving is an accepted part of football. Mm. And I've been made to feel that way by football. Because there's so many dives in games and we now have to come to this agreement that, yeah, he dived, but he dived, yeah. but he felt contact. He dived, but he was jumping out the way. Yeah. He dived, but his momentum, blah, 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 blah. So Aaron Ramsdale comes out and that is almost textbook serious foul play. He comes out reckless. There's brutality in the tackle because he wants to do Bowen. It does matter. It doesn't matter about the intent, but the brutality in the tackle matters. The studs are up and he goes to do Bowen. Jared Bowen sees it and jumps out the way. Now, yeah. does Jared Bowen dive? 100% yes. 100% yes, he does. But he dives because A, he wants to make sure that the referee thinks he's been fouled. But mm. B, he has to do that because we see it all the time. When you actually are fouled but try and play on, nothing happens. Yeah. You get nothing. So Jared Bowen dives on the ground. He doesn't cover the goose in sauce. He just throws his head back, jumps on the ground, does a quick roll, and he says, there you go. There's my free kick. I'm expecting it. Mike Dean, please retire now. Don't <laughs> wait till the 22nd. Just go now. I'm sure Tranmere are playing at the weekend. Go, 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 go watch that. Go watch it. We yes. don't need you anymore. So, but, so my, but like, my, he doesn't my, get it. Yeah, He gets booked for diving, doesn't he? See, I, I'm frustrated with this one because he takes evasive action to avoid getting absolutely clobbered. That, that's that's my a leg breaker. That's a leg breaker. And, and, and I've seen... I've seen all the, the conversations from pundits and media and Twitter and, you know, the, the, the echo chamber. If he leaves his foot in, he's getting broken. I mean, that, that's how hard that challenge was. So I, I, now, this, this is, see, this is where we get into this gray area again. I hate talking about this gray area. But again, for the VAR to intervene on something like this, it's not about the yellow card because it's not about the yellow card. What, what this is is, is the VAR going to say to Mike Dean, I think you've made a clear and obvious mistake. I think you need to come take a look at this. There does not need to be contact for a referee to judge a player of serious foul play. Dale Johnson, who does a great job breaking it all down, he brought up when Granit Xhaka was sent off back in August mm. with uh, his tackle on Joao Cancelo because he went two feet off the ground, but there was barely any contact. The other part of this is the visual, right? two players going in opposite directions, steamrolling at each other. If these guys hit each other and collide at full speed, my God, think about what would happen to, to Bowen in this situation. So I had a big, big problem with this one. Um, I understand this idea of, well, does the, does the referee need to get involved? Does it need to go to VAR? 
the problem is we are we we are still subjected to hypothetical situation and theories, right? Well, did he mean to? Did he not mean to? And and, and our referees taking on this, well, he's jumping out of the way because he doesn't want to be collided. He's not jumping out of the way and to then tumble to try to get the referee to send Ramsdale off. So I don't like it. I think it, it, it was a serious challenge from Ramsdale. Thankfully, Bowen did evade it because I think if he hadn't evaded it, he would have been in big, big trouble physically. Um, but I, it left a sour taste in my mouth for sure. But what are we saying now about these scenarios? Because I don't want it to be the case where you have to get contact to go down. I'm always looking for the contact. And I saw Jamie Redknapp prattling on the television about the fact he dived out the way of it. So it's not a foul. But then, I mean, Jermaine Defoe and Graham Sooners, the right people in this debate on the, on the TV I was watching, were saying, but he jumps out of the way. What are you supposed to do in that scenario? Hmm. And the fact is, the debate should have been, is Ramsdale sent off or not for, 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 for serious foul play? Could be violent conduct, but it certainly met a few criteria for me for serious foul play. To then give the free kick the other way for diving, hmm. I just... I just found it so baffling. And Mike Dean, a couple of years ago, he sent off Thomas Socek when he tried to move his arm out of the way of, of um, Alexander Mitrovic. And everyone's got a Mike Dean story, but I could just think of two off the top of my head. He <laughs> said, once sent off Sofiane Faguli for getting fouled on the edge of the penalty area by a Man United player. You know, he's just so bad. He's so bad and makes so many bad decisions. And he's such a <laughs> And you have right, to deal sorry, with Tim. this guy for years and years and years and years. And look, he is good entertainment if your team is not involved. But if your team is not involved, he should have long since retired. Hmm. And there's a few referees leaving. Andre Mariner, I think, who's actually quite good. And, um, and a couple of others. And Lee, not Lee Mason. Who's the one with the record shop? Oh, I forget his name now. Chubby. John Moss. And yeah. um, Chubby John Moss. And you think, okay, well, at least we're going to get a new generation through. But the new generation is Jared Gillett. And I, I feel like he is probably the worst of the lot. Like, and until they change the type of person they're bringing in as referees, anyone could see Ramsdale was trying to do Bowen. Anyone could see that was over the top. And if you've got VAR, there's no reason to have not gone to look at that. Oh, and by the way, the winning goal that was handball. Oh, Baldy with the wig on, Rob Holding, traitor to his kind. He handballs it. It's handball and it goes out to Martinelli who crosses to Gabriel who scores. But that's, that's not given. And every week I'm subjected to Arsenal fans on Twitter talking about a, a conspiracy against Arsenal. Who the f*** are you this week, boys? Where are you with your conspiracy? There is no conspiracy. They're just incompetent. They always have been. And if there was a conspiracy, you'd have lost that game at the weekend. But there isn't, because you somehow won. And one final point on this, the Arsenal game. Really annoyed me. Um, Mikel Arteta. Mikel Arteta, I'll tell you right now, Mikel Arteta is a good coach. And I've said this a few times. He is a good coach. He has done a good job. He's done a great job. You know, I wouldn't put many Arsenal players in the Tottenham team. I think he's, he's outcoached Antonio Conte. He's outcoached the various interims at Man U. He's outcoached the Moisaya. And at times I would put Thomas Tuchel in this bracket in the Premier League as well. He's a very good coach, getting very good performances out of six out of 10 players. Right. That being said, how has nobody punched him in the face? It, the West Ham technical area is enormous. It is enormous. It is bigger than most mid-sized apartments in New York. It's enormous. And yet he's not in it. 
He's out of it. At one point in the end of the game, when Eddie Nketiah dives for a free kick and gets it, when West Ham are complaining, saying he's dived or the children got a throw, he runs on the field. He almost overtakes Cresswell on the field to tell the referee what he thinks. Mm. Like, one day, a player... And again, I'm not saying I want this to happen. I'm just saying it will happen, and it should happen at some point. He runs on the field and acts like another player. He did an assist for a goal against Watford the other week when he runs out of his technical area and throws it to a Watford player. He oversteps the mark. He goes too far. The fourth official, utterly pointless job, does nothing about it. He never gets punished for leaving his technical area. And at some point, I mean, it's Antonio Conte next Thursday. Mm. I just say we call off the game and the both of them go bare-chested, covered in oil, and wrestle for fourth. (laughs) You know, it, it must be within the last two months that the new Arteta has kind of shown up, right? Because the old Arteta was really steely in his pre-match and post-game comments. He wasn't giving you anything. It was very short. It, it wasn't abrasive, but it, it was just, you know, mysterious quotes and comments. And you, you just never really got anything from him whatsoever. He did a really good job of controlling whatever narrative was happening. And he would give you the answer that he wanted to give you, not answer the question that was asked. Mm. This new Arteta, he's more confident in his group. He's got swagger. But the performance on the sideline and all of it, I'm not an Arsenal fan. I don't hate Arsenal. I don't have a problem with Arteta. But I can tell you when I'm watching, as a former player, he's very unlikable with his antics. Uh, Thomas Tuchel is extremely unlikable because of his antics on the sideline. Um, I'm okay, like, if guys, you know, like Jurgen Klopp or Pep pop their top every once in a while, Lampard pop their top. But this is now this, this, there's like an annoying presence on the sideline and whipping his arms around. And, you know, now the whole facial features when he talks to the fourth official, like, does the face thing, like, okay, okay, like that whole thing. Okay. I just, yeah, okay, 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 okay. Do your Arteta impression. That was very good last oh, week. Oh no, that that one, that one, uh, that that one was that was fun. That was fun. Um, <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, but I, I just he think he's he becomes very unlikable, very unlikable for a really good manager, especially a young manager in his first real, you know, uh, he's always going to be considered kind of Pep's under Pep's tutelage, Pep's umbrella. But mm. he's done a really good job at Arsenal. I just don't think he has to do what he's doing. Uh, and, and maybe he's doing it because he has to be that that captain presence on the sideline to make sure everyone's dialed in and locked in. And but like he's coaching, like you see him down there, he's like telling players when to step up, and he's telling players to close down. He's yelling and being really demonstrative with his hands. I just don't think he needs to do it. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know why, but it, it's become. I, I'd be interested to hear from Arsenal fans to see if they're okay with kind of the antics or if it's something that kind of leaves a sour taste in their mouth as well. Well, I'm sure if they win, they'll love it and say things like, oh, Teta's flames. Hmm. Uh, and if they win, they'll be like, oh, sack him, mate. This Arsenal football club. I did want to mention this. I, I don't know anything about Turkish football at all. I know nothing. I could barely name the, the entire league. Do about five, probably. But Trabzonspor won the league this week. Yeah. Uh, Trabzonspor won the Turkish league for the first time in 38 years. The first time they've won it since uh, 1984. 
And I just loved this. I saw a few of the videos this week, and it goes to sort of Real right? Betis. We spoke about this last yeah. week as well. Yeah. Football is not meant to be the same royal family of clubs <laughs> winning a bunch of trophies and then at the end of the season deciding which trophy they like most. That isn't what football is meant to be. That's not what competitive sport is meant to be. And if your league is becoming that, something has gone wrong. And I am looking at the Premier League with Man City and Liverpool and their dominance. Of course, I'm looking at the snooze fest, which is buying 10 years in a row. You know, football's not meant to be like this. And it goes to the FA Cup and the Moose Cup as well. If a team is winning it every single year, something has gone wrong. And if a team wins it and they're like, oh, wonderful to win this, but of course we've got a bigger game next week, a trophy should be the kind of thing that sets, it looks like hundreds of thousands of fans onto the streets for days on end, partying and setting off flares and taking off their shirts and getting into some private time Dunsethery. And I just... (laughs) I don't know enough about the Turkish league to comment on the football, but I know that Fenerbahce are second and nowhere near them. They have won the league. And, and that's that to me, just check out some of the videos of the celebration. Incredible. Yeah. This is what it's meant to be about, right? It's yeah. And, and I, I don't want to see Man City win the league every year. Win it, great. But next year, we should hamper them. Take a player off them. <laughs> no transfers. No transfer budget. If you've won the league next year, you get the worst roll of the dice. And yeah. don't moan at me, Jürgen. Okay, don't whinge at me because things haven't fallen into your favor. Give someone else your budget and then whinge at me. But once you win, the odds should be stacked in your favor. And next year, um, Istanbul, Basak Shahir, there you go, should be the champion. Yeah, well, they 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 did also beat Manchester United last year in the uh, group stage of of Champions League. Just quick reminder. Did we time it? Have we got the time? Yeah. That's our what? first Man United 40, reference 46? in the program on 46 minutes. Amazing. That's hey, a record. B- b- by the way, let me double down. F*** it. Because I haven't uh, said sorry to him yet. I've used your quota, mate. So we're always trying to get listener questions in, and we get loads in during the week, but we're actually a bit pressed for time on the recording of this show. So we'll squeeze in one quick question, uh, which Tim, the horse, horsey, has got for us. Yeah, thanks, Tom. So you can always send in questions for the guys uh, to Twitter at SiriusXMFC, and we kind of collate them and gather them throughout the week, and then we use what we can here on Week in the Tackle. Uh, Just the one here, as Tom mentioned, because we are a bit short on time, and it's from Chris. A bit of an American flair to this one, but also uh, some West Ham love as well. So we'll start with Tom. Tom, with Pulisic's dad confirming Christian's love of London in his now infamously deleted tweet, how would Tom Rennie feel about a move for Pulisic? To West Ham. Um, I feel like the move's inevitable, to be honest, at some point. I feel like it's a very good fit for him because he needs to play week in, week out in a position. It's a position West Ham are pretty weak in on the left-hand side. Ben Rama's not doing it. Fornals, that's not his role. Lanzini, that's not his role. And Nikola Vlasic, I'm pretty sure at this point, is just a concept rather than a person. So I'd love to see it happen. I think that's about the right club for him you know, punching upwards as opposed to favourites to win every game. I think not having possession all game as well might suit him as well, give him another side of his game I've not really seen much. So I'd love to see it happen. I think it'd be a really, really good fit, um, but it would only be a loan move because West Ham would never pay £60 million for an also-ran at Chelsea. But I'll give his dad a bell and see what I can do. Well, I mean, also, ran. you did make Kurt Zuma one of the leaders in your club has an also ran at Chelsea, if I'm not mistaken. But we didn't have to pay 60 million pounds for it. That's true. That's a very good point. I think it would be a great opportunity for him. Um, 
I, I just feel for Christian and listen, his, his dad's involvement. That's honestly not a surprise that the tweet went out, but I would imagine that his dad got a call from Christian immediately because that tweet had blown up all over the place <laughs> and got its own segments on a couple different shows, including our own. Um, there's nothing more mortifying than when your parent tweets something and it ends up being the big storyline of the day. Mm. Um, so Mark, Mark got the shine that he wanted. He got his name out there. It's not a good look for he or Christian though. I can promise you that. Um, and by the way, I would, I would expect some good ribbing nature from Chelsea's locker room, um, with regards to Boston Christian Pulisic's balls, if you will. Can I say balls? I just said balls. Sorry, Tim. Um, you know, for Christian, I, all, all, I don't care about the size of club. I'm not one of those that are, that are, you know, oh, this guy's a national team. He's got to play at this club. He's got to play that. West Ham has ambition. Um, I'm expecting West Ham to go out and spend, at least to, to continue to try to build out this roster. That's had an incredible season. And my God, if they do win the Europa League, what that yeah. could mean. Um, and I know you, so much pressure on you. So much pressure. Uh, but at the end of the day, I just want to see him play games. And any American, whether it be Matt Turner or it be Zach Steffen or it be Eaton Horvath or it be Wes McKinney or it be whoever, I just want, as a U.S. men's national team fan, them to be healthy, fresh, sharp, and playing as many games as possible leading into World Cup this uh, this, this winter. Well, that's this week's episode of Week in the Tackle. If you enjoyed it, leave us a five-star rating. Um, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Pandora, wherever you get your podcasts. Also, leave us a written review as well. The good ones, Tim occasionally reads out. So make it real good to mean that he can't avoid your excellent review. Something about my attractiveness and wonderful voice. Always welcome. Week in the Tackle is also available on the SXM app, free for most subscribers. Download today and tap podcast for video clips of the show and more. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at SiriusXMFC. Week in the Tackle is part of the SiriusXM podcast network and is produced by Tim Horsey. The executive producer is Pete Corey. Sound design was by Joey DeFazio. Special thanks to SiriusXM Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Steve Cohen, and SiriusXM FC's Program Director, Joe Tolleson. SiriusXM Podcasts.